0: let's
1: uh, dive into the Word of God here and talk about this so I mentioned earlier uh, I think a couple of weeks ago that I've had more discussions about parenting in the last month than I had in three years of being in the ministry that tells me that there's uh, different things going on and as we, as our children get older and they become you know past the age of infancy, we start to encounter issues that um, we kind of struggle to address or and we have to sort of work through. I do want to acknowledge that I appreciate the fact that you're willing to to listen to this because the most dangerous, scary place for anyone to walk into, if you want to get a mittful back from somebody and walk into a minefield, you discuss parenting with your children. Think about it as parents, probably the most sensitive area outside of your relationship with God, someone attacking your spirituality, if someone questioned your parenting methods, it's a natural defense mechanism. I'm the same as any, any of you, because you automatically associate my child's behavior, someone questioning me, with me as a failure or success as a parent, and it's a very, very sensitive issue. So uh, you know, Dan and I have talked about this, if you, you know, if, if you want to get rejected as a pastor, talk to people about their kids, <laughs> you'll get quick rejection, um, it, well, depending on when you handle it, but it's a, it's a very sensitive area. I say this to say that we're, we're not, I'm not here to teach the Word of God to try to put you in a place of condemnation or to try to say you are this or that as a parent. In fact, I love being around most of your children. Most. <laughs> I'm glad you heard that. I'll just say if you're listening. Oh,
2: yeah. I'm just kidding.
1: <laughs> the humor is always a good way of breaking <laughs> did <laughs> you name some names yeah. <laughs> so, I, I mean Friday night was a great example we we had a great time here we had, I don't think we had one issue the entire night with our kids that's a great testimony to us as a church that we are doing a pretty good job in the area of parenting right now the fact that we can play for three hours and I didn't see any disciplinary issues with our children it was fantastic so I mean, I love uh, I love what's happening there already. So anyway, anyway, this is hopefully a, 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 a time of encouragement, and it, this won't be only today. Like I'm having a feeling that I'll speak today, and then we, if it takes two sermons, three sermons, four sermons to get through it, fine. I'm not on a time schedule. Neither of you. We'll keep discussing it until we feel that we're we're um, sort of confident in where we're going. And again, another precursor. I'm not. I am not wise in and of myself uh, in this topic. Um, I've been very fortunate. I've been mentored in this area of of my life by Dan. And uh, now have practical experience in relation to what the Word of God has said. The scriptures have been front and foremost in my, my shape of parenting. And even without children, even without children, if you were a single person who never had kids, you could teach people how to parent just from the Word of God. That is extremely important to understand. That you might think, or someone might think, well, what? What? Uh, I remember hearing a guy a preacher, I won't mention names. He was single. He preached. He preached on parenting. And uh, in the discussion afterwards, I heard his dad come up to me—not uh, to me. I heard him behind me say, "But well, what does he know? He's not even a dad yet." And I thought, ooh, that's like—in other words, you're—in other words, you're disqualified because. You're not a dad yet, and so if you were a dad, you could give the advice on parenting. I was talking to Dick Lucas, uh, this pastor in London, and uh, he's been single his whole life. He's 90 years old. He's been single for the sake of the kingdom, decided to get married, or not to get married. And uh, I asked him, I said, "Well, Dick, like, how do you give marriage counseling if you've never been married?" Like, how do, you, how do you do that? You know what he said? He goes, I've had people sit in my office, husbands and wives, for basically 70 years, telling me the same story over and over. He goes, i got a pretty good idea of what marriage is like and the same complaints and the same issues that husbands and wives face. It never changes. And it's the same with children. The same issues, it doesn't matter what culture, what nationality, what age, it's the same issues with children no matter what. So a person with the Word of God, a single person can can actually parent and maybe even understand parenting better than someone who has 50 years of experience, but if they trust the Word of God and they understand the implications and principles. So I say this to say that the foundation for for what I want to share with you is biblical. And I'm gonna, we it, it might be painstaking, but we're gonna go through all the passages, all of them, and if it takes like, because um. In, in, a, in a crisis, or when you're in a situation, your emotions will always take over. The flesh will want to do something, your emotions will take over, and unless you have something to hang your hat on, a, a foundation of scripture, you will probably second guess yourself in those, in those instances. So, I want to give you this, this strong, biblical basis for where we're getting this stuff, and we're going to go through them all, not all, but a, a lot of them, just so that you have a, a strong foundation. Um And I realize there are different stages in your walk. Some of us have infants, some of us have teenagers, some of them are are, are grown up, and so, you know, in terms of being in the home, there's not much we can do anymore, but we can still have an influence with our children, even if they're 30 or 40, like, over the phone, you know, and things like that. And, um... I know I'm getting a lot of precursors, but I think these are foundational and important to talk about. One other thing I want to share before we get into the actual meat and potatoes is I realize that some of this will be very challenging for some of you, and 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 this is, I want to share this because your background, your background of how you're raised, will be fighting the word of God in terms of the instruction you're given. I'll give you an example. If you grew up in a home with a dad who was extreme disciplinarian and, and authoritative in the house. When I give you some of the counsel for what God wants you to do with your children, you're going, to ref- you're going to fight against the Word of God because you grew up in a home with a lot of corporal punishment. And you're going to think, uh-uh, I've lived that, I hated that, I don't love my dad, don't respect my dad, I'm out. Don't think that way because there's so many other factors involved for why that relationship sour. If you grew up in a house with a passive parents where they basically let you do whatever you wanted and you basically called your own shots in, the, in your life, um, again, God's Word will be very challenging to you, because we are called not to be passive, but active parents. Um, I'd be lying to say if my background didn't affect me. Before uh, I had children, I had it in my head exactly how I was going to parent my kids. I had, I had this, I had, I, spoke, I was quiet to myself, I never told anybody, I never told Janice when we were engaged in our first year of marriage. Uh, anything about my ideas for parenting, I just kept it to myself. Cause of like nerves and fear and insecurities and then I sat down with Dan and he says well if you're going to be having your kids and pastoring a church you better understand this topic he, the God's Word completely dismantled my parenting techniques in my head so here I was going oh my goodness I had this strategy and the Word of God says you can't do that Andrew because you're not going to raise your children in a godly way so I had to decide, do I trust the word of the Lord or do I actually go my own way? And to be honest, it was my background that was influencing my decisions to parent the way I did. So I probably, in the area of um, parenting, I've been challenged probably more than any other area of my life uh, in terms of like trusting the Lord. Like for, me you know, uh, when God told Ab- um, Isaac or Abraham to sacrifice Isaac on the altar, this was my altar, was how was I going to raise my kids in relation to the word of God. Okay, so I don't expect us to be always comfortable. I don't expect this to not be without questions. But um, I, I, we do need to speak about this issue. Okay, that's enough waggling on the tee. It's time to hit a long ball. <laughs> so, and this is open discussion. So I'm going to speak. You can interrupt me, interject anytime you want. And we'll just go through it. Uh, I don't care if it takes us six sermons or one sermon to get through. Uh, we'll just go as we want. And uh, yeah, likely though, I'm going to say something that is, you're going to ask a question and the next information is going to answer the question you have. So if you ask a question and I don't answer, it's not because I'm not ignoring you. I'll just say straight up, by the way, that's coming in five minutes. That's, but we have to get through this first. Okay? First and foremost, our model and methodology for parenting has to come from Scripture. Specifically, we can look at God's relationship to Israel to understand how to model parenting and how God relates to us in the New Testament. If we have those two foundations, we can go forward. How do we? Why would we do this? Well, we can look at God as a model parent because He uses family language to describe His relationship to, to Israel and to us in the Bible. And I want to take our time to look at this. Um, and you know what? I'll get everybody to participate today just because there's going to be probably 30, 40 passages we're going to go through. So Kevin, look up Deuteronomy 130. Tori, look up Deuteronomy 32.6. And Jeff, look up uh, Psalm 68, 4 to 5. And you're going to notice something here. This, God describes himself as a father in the Bible, in the as a father. And these three passages, there's more than these, but these three passages will identify that. So Deuteronomy one thirty.
2: The Lord your God, who goes before you, will himself fight on your behalf, just as he did for you in Egypt. Before your eyes.
1: Okay, well that's not a good passage because I didn't talking about being father there, but it describes how he's going to relate as <laughs> father. I must have written down the wrong crossword. There you go. Double check your notes. But he does say that he will fight for you, uh, and he's, he's, he's talking about himself in that role. But Deuteronomy 32 6. Um, is
2: this the way you were the Lord?
1: Is He not your Father, your Creator, who made you and formed you? Is He not your Father, your Creator, who made and formed you? In Psalm 68, 4 and 5.
2: That's
0: oh, sorry, I got to Psalm but I forgot the passage. 68? Yeah, 4 and 5. <laughs> sing to God, sing praise to His name, extol Him who rides on the cross. His name is the Lord, and rejoice before Him. A father to the fatherless,
1: a defender of widows, is God in His holy glory. Right on. And if you do cross-references, there's multiple passages of this chapter about His Father. But think about this now. In Luke, the Lord's Prayer that you've been taught as a little kid in church, starts with what? Our Father who art in heaven. Okay? Now, this is the disciples saying to Jesus, a rabbi, who rabbis in those in their culture gave um, specific prayers to their um, their disciples, taught them how to pray. So they're going to Jesus, saying, "How do you want us to pray, to Jesus? How, how what does it look like to be your student?" And he says, "I want you to call God your father." You know what's awesome? Remember Jared Siebert, the church buying director. He's like, I love that guy because he's just so, like, he's so real and open. But do you remember what he said when he prayed for our church one day? Remember what his opening line was when he prayed for our church? He goes, Dad. The old father had, he goes, Dad. And he started praying. And I started laughing inside because he gets it. He's like, Daddy, I want to talk to you. And it's Jesus says, our Father. So in in, in England, it's like Father, Father, Father. In Canada, it's Dad. Hey, Dad, what's up? So Derek says, hey dad, I want to bless this Genesis the church and I want to, you know, whatever. It's cool. He gets it. Derek gets it. So we, to address, Jesus says, address God as your father. So the Bible chooses to use family language to describe God's relationship to us. And this is important because he could have used what other kind of language? Courtroom language. A lot of people in Christianity love God as judge. God's the judge, and the judge is the judge, right? He's not a judge. He's first and foremost father. But he could have said, I am the judge, and give all these courtrooms students to describe himself. He doesn't do that. In the Old Testament, he starts off as a father. Oh, judgment is a responsibility of a father, but it's not the place to start as a father. So if we take our views from God's dealing with Israel, and us, and take our cues from him, then we can raise our children accordingly. All right next, so therefore I'm going to say something to you that seems obvious but I want to talk about it in more detail is parenting is a joint effort it's a joint effort um, Evan, read Proverbs 1, 8 and 9 and Jordan, you got your Bible there? can you read Proverbs 6, 20 to 23? most of our instruction is going to come from Proverbs through this page uh, this so Proverbs 1, 8 and 9 And Proverbs 6, 20 to 23. Hear, my son, your father's instructions, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Indeed, they are a great
0: great whole well to your head. Okay.
2: (laughs) My son, obey your father's commands and don't neglect your mother's instruction. Keep their words always in your heart to tie them around your neck. When you walk, their counsel will lead you when you sleep, they will protect you. When you wake up, they will advise you. For their command is a lamp, and their instruction a light. Their corrective discipline is the way to life.
1: Great. So you see in Proverbs 1 and 6, he says fathers, mothers, fathers, mothers. There's no there's no father only, mother only. It's a joint effort. Someone might say, Well well, done, that's obvious. Well, it is in terms of like when we raise children, but within the home... Often one parent will be more dominant than the other in terms of the raising of the children, and yet God says that it's a team effort. There's, and if you're one flesh in marriage, you become one flesh. How parents respond corporately affects the family unit, and we can't take a break from being parents. Um, and there, and I and will say this: there are there there are there's a a difference in children when both parents are actively involved in the family, and uh, I've seen it in, in um, uh, I've seen it in families too, where there are consequences for family when one parent is only the disciplinarian, when one person is the only one sacrificially loving, and so on. Children within the same home will not respect both parents equally. You will, you will res- the child will have a wonder. Uh, it's possible. That you could go in out in public, and one parent have complete peace with the children in the grocery store. The same, the next parent comes out the next day, takes them to the grocery store, and has had complete havoc. It's possible one parent can take the child to church and have a chaotic hour and a half. The next parent takes them to church and have a peaceful hour and a half. So, in other words. Each individual parent is responsible to the Lord for the way they raise the instruction, but it's possible that the, ch- the children can actually treat you the way God desires differently within the same family unit, depending if one completely trusts the Word of God in terms of the way they raise their child. So it's important that we try to get on the same page because if one parent has more um, respect than the other, then it affects the family unit. For example, if you go on holidays and one parent has the children that will respect and love them and, and obey them, and the other one doesn't, it still it still affects the relationship because we're out in public. If the parent that doesn't have the respect is there, and, and the kid's chaotic, the person who does have the respect has to always jump in to try to take care of the child, and it disrupts the public uh, ability to communicate and, and, and share in the, in the fun and all sorts of things. So, um, yeah. In other words, like, we are, at parenting is a joint effort. We're one flesh, and how we, how we respond to our children does affect the whole family unit, both for the positive and the negative. So, while there are hundreds of books out there and methods of how to parent, and some are extremely good, and I'm sure you've read them, and, and actually, this is a confession or whatever it is on me, but I've, I've, only, I've never read a parenting book in my life. I just haven't. I've I've read portions of parenting books. I've never read a book. I'm going to start. But all I'm saying is, um, you a lot of you probably have read way more of the material than I have in terms of parenting, and you will know really good books and have really good advice from them. So I uh, again I I don't know which ones they are, but if you have me I'd be interested in hearing about them. But I want to look at this from. From the way I think God designs family to work. And then there's three pillars, I would say, to effective parenting in the scriptures. First pillar is self-sacrificial love. Second pillar is discipline. Third pillar is reconciliation. So self-sacrificial love, discipline, reconciliation. We're going to go through those three pillars. And I will use stories from my own life. Not because I'm trying to... Monopolize and like uh, everyone to say, look at me for my failures and successes of my children. It's because I know my family well, and I'm not, and um, th- I don't, you know, I'm, and I'm not going to share your stories if, if you've told me them for sake of um, privacy. So, uh, but if you want to share any of your own to say, hey, experience that, done that, know that, please do, because we can learn from each other. Okay, let's look at self-sacrificial love. Our definition of self sacrificial love comes from God's dealings with Israel in the Old Testament and the cross of Christ. Romans 5 6 to 10, right? It's uh, it's, an, it's an incredible passage, and, and uh, Stuart did a sermon on it, or a Berean on it. I think it's a sermon, no. Or maybe it's a Berean on it in our church. It says, For while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, but perhaps for the good man, someone will dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Much more, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be safe in the wrath of God through him. The beautiful thing here, but God demonstrates his love towards us that while we were sinners, and he calls us helpless and ungodly, and enemies later, he still died for us. So self-sacrificial love is defined in this way. Love is defined this way by the Bible. Self-sacrifice on the move towards another so the other person can benefit or thrive with no expectation of return. Self-sacrifice on the move to another so the other person can benefit or thrive with no expectation of return. Let's look at this in the cross. Jesus self-sacrifice on the move to another not for his own life but for your life so that you can have life. So the other person can benefit or thrive. Well, how do we thrive? We escape the punishment from sin. We get to be in relationship with God now and in eternity because of Christ's sacrifice with no expectation of return. God never said, I'll only die for you if you love me first. He says, while you're an enemy, helpless and ungodly, I'll go to the cross for you. There's no expectation of return. I'll die for you regardless, Right? 2,000 years ago he died on the cross for you now you never even had a chance to love him because you weren't even born yet so with that attitude then uh, we have to then take it to our children so what's the first step in becoming self-sacrificial in our parenting? I would say we must become intentional not functional parents we must become intentional not just functional parents I don't want to open up the floor. Can you think about the difference between a functional and an intentional parent?
2: That to me, functional is just like you're functioning through the tasks, right? Yeah. Like I get you up, I bathe you, I get you fed. That's just a functional parent. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Having a plan would
1: be intentional. Okay. Okay. Anyone else want to jump in? I don't disagree. Just. Anyone else want to weigh in? I think also doing things that your kids want to do even when you don't want to do them. Totally. Like playing grounders at the park. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yeah, so that's the intentional side, right? Yeah. Good. Yeah, uh, to jump off of Rochelle specifically, I, I think she knit. I would call like, her list uh, the ne- basic necessities of life. A functional parent provides the basic necessities, so shelter, food, clothing, routine, whatever. Intentional, and Kelly kind of mentioned this, you're, you're investing on the kid's terms. You invest on the child's terms. So the key in that is we need to consistently strive to accommodate our kid's desires and likes. Now, we, you know, it, it, um, it's interesting, in, in our culture, and even in our church, if I were to say to you, do any of you love your children? I hope so you would all say yes. All right? If you ask anybody who's not, anybody, do you love your children? And I think the majority of people would say, of course I do. I'd say, in what, and, and then they say, well, in what ways are you intentional? And what do you mean? Well, or if I say, what ways do you love your children? I'd say, well, I provide them food. Every day I give them clothes, they have a nice home to live in, I say, yeah, so? That doesn't prove you love them. That's your basic God-given task as a parent, to provide shelter, food, and clothing. So you're no different than anybody in terms of that. In fact, you'll be in social services will come get your kid if you don't do those things. It doesn't make you loving, right? It's the basic necessity. It's intentional, is that we consistently strive to play and invest in the children's lives on their terms god did it for adam god did it he didn't have to give him this amazing garden he didn't have to do that for him he thought but he did he didn't have to give him a, a, a wife he, he noticed that he was lonely felt alone and gave him a wife you ever see man you have these amazing blessings from from the lord he didn't have to give israel land to canaan which was the most fertile land in the whole of the nation he could have given them another patch of land in like, uh, like Syria or something, or like you know Afghanistan. He gave Canaan, the most fertile, gorgeous land there possibly was, a land filling with milk, milk and honey. So how do we do this? We introduce our kids to things as they get older to see what their interests are, and then when we find out what their interests are, we go like crazy in investment in those things. Once we learn their interests, we go into those things. And the thing about children is, as you know, they change their interests every six days. And so you have to start negotiating with how to reinvest your life into those areas. And then as they get older, they will start to move into like, things that they become ha- habitual in their life. But here's an example, though. Uh, this is a simple example. Um, well, actually, let me, let, me just, let me just say this first, though. Why is this so important? If you don't give to your kids in a tangible way, they will not respect you or trust you later in life. If you don't give to your kids in a tangible way, but only a functional way, they will not earn you won't have their respect or trust. And that is so important later for discipline. That is so important Like people always say, should I spank my kids or not? It's the wrong question. The answer is whether you do or not can actually dis- that that won't that won't be the issue whether you'll have respect in the home because it'll be the the, the key is, is the first pillar in place for the discipline even to be there which is the self-sacrificial love. So I'll give an example. Um, the child's model becomes this um, if you're only a functional parent and you, and you discipline only when they do things bad. The child's model is this. Well, the only time mom and dad actually pay attention to me and take interest in me is when I do something bad. That's the—that's what a child hears. How come mom and dad are so invested in me when I do things bad, but they seem to never really care about me any other time? So a good example of this practically would be uh, um, puzzles or Lego. And, and so daddy and mommy are on the knees, like getting holes in their jeans. If I ever wrote a book on parenting, I would call it, Do You Have Holes in Your Jeans? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'll tell you a reason why in a second, but uh, I didn't tell them my book for parenting. Um, the, uh, the issue was, um, if they like puzzles, you're on your knees playing puzzles, and the, but the message they hear is this, I never see mommy or daddy playing puzzles in their whole life, but man, when I bring on a puzzle, they always are interested in puzzles, so they must like me. I never see daddy or mommy playing Lego. I mean, Daddy's always in the garage, like, fixing his, like, car or whatever, but, man, whenever I pull out my Lego, Daddy's always playing Lego. He must really like me. That's the message a child gets when they're really young. And that goes into teenage years, too. I know Daddy doesn't like, uh, like, you know, um, pardon me? Video games. games. Yeah, (laughs) sure. Right? Or especially if it's it's a father uh, uh, with a teenage daughter, or an older daughter, man, it's hard to get into your daughter's likes if you're sporty and she's not. My goodness, that's a tough one to bridge. Or vice versa, if she's like uh, sporty and you're not, it's a tough bridge to come across. But again, you invest in your child and your and your children, I should say, lives on their terms. Um, and again. Um, I'm, uh, this is not a conceited comment. This is literally thank goodness for the word of God and thank goodness for Dan's investment in my life. But um, and, and I wasn't totally wired this way, to be honest. This is why I, I give praise to God for this. But my title for my book would be that because one day I was uh, about four years ago, I was looking at all my pants and they were worn in my kneecaps, and I'm like, what in the world? And I even had holes in my jeans. I haven't had holes in my jeans since I was a teenager. And I used to remember, I remember being like in grade 5 and 6 and always having like, my parents have to put patches on my knees all the time because I'd wear it through them. And I couldn't figure out what the heck was going on until I realized one day, I've be, been playing like a kid for a year and a half. I was playing like a kid. I was on my knees all day long with Jackson and then Jace. And I was wearing my pants out because I was basically playing like they were. And I was like, oh my goodness, I can't, like my jeans my are a testimony to the word of God, like changing my life to say, get invested in your children in a tangible way, right?
0: All right, So can you yeah. can you, um, yeah. just like speak to the difference? Because I know, yeah. like you and I know tons of parents at the gym that take their kids to hockey. They're like so invested in their kids' sports and, th- and if you were to ask them, do you guys give themselves that they'd say, oh man, crazy, like, we running around for kids, but the thing is that that's not necessarily what you're talking about. Yeah, Do so mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Yeah. And but they would all say that.
1: Yeah. Right. So here's the key difference between when you know it's that. This is why, and I'll give you a practical example. but now you bring it up of of, of how I failed in this area about three years ago. Um. The, uh. So the difference would be this. To invest in your kids in a tangible way means that you have to do activities that they know you don't like or don't do on your own. So if daddy loves hockey, as an example, and you take them to hockey, that's not going to bridge the gap for tangible love because they know that you love hockey. Um, if it's, uh, if it's uh, uh, bluegrass music <laughs> and all you do is play, when you get in the car is play your music and then you tell them to watch, they, you, you know they love uh, YouTube. And you just keep playing your videos and then you're, but you're hanging up with them and like hugging them and stuff. They know that daddy loves this. It's when you invest on in stuff that you could specifically go after things that they love that they know that you don't typically love. That's the key. So you have to watch and listen to your children and, and say what do they love to do. And I will tell you this. Your flesh will say this is stupid. This is a waste of time. I don't want to do this. I've got better things to do. That's the thing. That's when the kid. No, this is, that'll set you up for tangible success with your kids. Um, I think, sorry yeah, go, go ahead, ahead. I'm done. this is open. I think in the in the
0: room we have a, a fortunate of both ends of the spectrum we're experience with kids. If if there's a second or two while we're talking, even I learn a lot from hearing other people's ideas of what they've done. Yeah. If I don't know if, if the room feels like talking about that. Is there an example of an intentional act that you think worked really well with your kids? I don't know if anybody wants to share that kind of thing, or it didn't work, or just an idea. So I've run through lots of different scenarios. Well, give us them. one for yourself. Well, I'm, that's what I'm working yeah. on. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's see. well, I guess, obviously, Jared, um, I'm a lot like Jared, but he wants to be inside a lot. I'm on the outside, so I struggle with that. Because Josiah's right beside me outside, but Jared's not. So I'm trying. to, As you're talking, I'm rolling through scenarios. What can I do to invest in Jared? And then I also have to dial into two girls that have completely different interests than than I have entirely. And so that I think that's the area that I'm going to feel lost. And what and what can I do? Because I've tried playing Barbies a few times. Done all right, but Dad, <laughs> you're yeah, right. uh, supposed to hit them. Right? Just, you, know, you don't wrestle them. Yeah.
1: Just,
2: you know, <laughs> yeah. I got distracted one
0: time because one had fairy wings and the other one didn't, so I went and tried to make fairy wings for one. So it worked for a little. <laughs> <laughs> so, I
2: don't know. The, the one thing I would say is uh, ask them. Ask them what they what they because I I've seen and I I've lived that that where because of some of your own interests you bring them and then they want to please you so they'll 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 do what you want and then right away you just assume that they love that too and then you'll ask them a few times and they always say yes to to the point that after three or four times when you ask again then they're kind they of no, they they don't want to say no but they' they don't want to disappoint you so they'll they'll do it but their heart's not there so I, I would say, I mean, the Barbies is, is a great example. <laughs> because when they're young, I think they're more like, they're more pulling so kind of do this or whatever. And I think as they get a little older, yeah. uh, ask them what they like. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you can say, well, you see what they're drawn towards, yeah. but I, I think that's, that's one thing I would, I would say. And was it, like, you're spot on
0: what you're saying, because whether you play Barbies right or not they really don't care because they recognize that it's that saf- self-sacrificial love yeah. and uh yeah everything you're saying is just exactly right you know going to the mall Like i remember one time Pat would go to the mall with Jaden, and she thinks this is great. Like Dad's got the cash,
1: you know,
2: and he
0: doesn't want to be there, and so he only did it once because he hates going to the mall. But that was a big date in her her life.
2: Sure. So so let me let me so I'm let just me glad there's chairs over the yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah.
1: Me too. Yeah. But no I know I know we're making I know we're joking and stuff like that. I'm not saying you guys were doing this when you were there, but remember this though, so, right? If you let your kid know that this actually is not your preference and it sucks, you're gonna it's gonna destroy it anyway. Think about this as a husband-wife, right? How many times have you gone on a date with someone and your partner knows that's not what they wanna do? But the partner in the date lets, lets you know that this is not really my preference. I mean, that doesn't make the date any better, does it? Never.
2: Yeah,
1: <laughs> Right? So, I mean, you, you don't let your kids know these things. And I know we're joking about them, but who knows? Some parents do throw the guilt trips to come for children, right? I want to give you a word of a warning, though, and encouragement at the same time. I want to speak specifically to the dads here. And then to the moms about what your issues are going to be with functional intentional parenting, and I um, this I like if you have like I would I would urge you to walk away with this as a as a if you remember nothing except this for this part of the section remember this here's the dad's problem and 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 potential struggle that God's going to call you out of. You are called as a man to be a provider for the home. And from thank you to Adam and Eve, they created something called the curse for work. Your work is going to produce thorns and thistles. That means that you're going to go to work and it's going to be hard. And it's not going to go easy. And it's going to be turmoil, not, if not daily, at least weekly. You will go through seasons of success and enjoyment. But for the most part, it's going to suck. Because the curse says it's going to suck. Right? Okay, so work's tough. You work extremely long hours. And when you come home, the first thing you want to do when you come home is check out. So, but God says, it's time to check in. As a father, you want to check out because you deserve it. You've worked hard. You've done everything you can. if you need a break, because you deserve it. Because you've done everything God's asked you to do. God says, you've checked out of work so that you can check in at home. Again, our nature as men is to be selfish, and we deserve to be free because we work so hard and are such good providers. You don't get a break from parenting. You don't get a break. When you come in, even and the thing is, this isn't the hard part for men too, mentally. You might be checked out checked in with your kids in a physical presence, but your brain's not there. So you're checked out mentally. So you're you're playing with your kids, but you're still on your phone, text messaging, voice calls, um, distracted by the, the, the like the TV that just flecked on like something that you're not normally interested in, but all of a sudden you're checked out. Your kid's talking to you and you're going, uh huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Next thing you know you've agreed to like give them a hundred dollars that you never even knew that you gave we're gonna give them, right? In other words, you get the point. We, we, are, we are mentally distracted when we get home because we're busy from work and it doesn't, it doesn't cut off when we walk in the door. So the, the, we really have to push as men to, to, to check in and invest in our children's desire. And every day when I come home from work, I want to put my feet up and sit on the couch. But I don't. I don't. I, I get on my knees and play on the kids' terms. And this this will be a question that you, to the day your kid leaves home, I'll give you men a question to ask yourself every night before you go to bed or every morning when you wake up in the morning. Ask yourself this question. At what point in my day tomorrow or today, if it's today or in the morning, at what point am I going to invest in my children on their terms today? Ask yourself that question. And if your work has got you out from 7 in the morning to like 9 at night, take a break from work at 1 in the afternoon. Come home for your children for an hour, two hours, whatever it takes. Work's always going to be there. Your kids are gone in 17 years. You get one chance to raise your kids. You get you lots of chances at work and say, let's get in the next deal. And no, no dad dies dying in their bed in hospital ever wishes for more time at work or more money they wish for a relational change with someone that's with their kids if it's broken (laughs) right so when you go to bed at night and you can be as if you're an analytical person like like you literally can have your day timer on your iphone and you can go, I will spend from one to three, or seven to nine, or whatever it is on your day. You have to, have to, have to invest in your children on a daily basis. If work takes you out of town, I get it. That's different. God calls you to be a hard worker, and you can't do that. But when you get back home, you invest in your children. That's, the, that's to the men. To the women. Functional parenting is your primary role as the woman in the house you are to provide the basic necessities for your children food, clothing, shelter, daily routine so your, 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 your dad's role isn't primarily functional in a way because he's at work a lot the, the, the female who is primarily at home with her children is, um, and that God's call is to them to be the, the workers at home is then that um, they're so busy in the functional tasks that they can't stop and check they, 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 sorry, yeah, they're so busy in the functional tasks that you have to overcome your desire to check out from those and check in in a tangible way. Because you have laundry to do, this to do, food to prepare, like routines to follow, and you're so busy getting all the functional stuff done that you don't ever invest in your children in a tangible way. And then when you go to tangibly play with your kids, if you do, you can't let go of your list in your head. So mentally, you're like the father at home because you can't actually release from the, the daily task and then all of a sudden you can and the, kid, and the parents, the child recognizes that you as a mom are distracted too. So like a dad has to overcome this desire to check out and the woman does as well because she's especially if you're risk orientated and task orientated and you define a successful day by how much you accomplish, if that's how you define your days as opposed to relationships then you, as a woman, you're gonna have to make tangible investments in your children, and forget the laundry, forget the extra food on the table, forget the routine. Just play with your children. Yeah, let the husband do it. Yeah, totally. When he comes home, <laughs> and yeah, yeah,
0: the laundry and the functional. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah that's why parenting is a. You're both responsible. Good work, Jim.
0: <laughs> See, but your model there is for. a... Wife who's at home, but the reality is, most of them are working, and so you've got a whole different uh, set of uh, expectations. I think where you have to work a lot harder with uh, dividing up and making sure that you're both you know, fulfilling all the needs of the family
2: in a shared way. I think. Mm-hmm
1: yeah that's a good and so the, the next this is another huge topic would be roles within the marriage that would be a, like a further a further uh, conversation about what's god's design for a female and a male within the home, and how does that practically play out because it does obviously impact your parenting and jim's brought that up to our attention for sure yeah.
2: Yeah, we're, we're like Michelle works and i work they work a lot yeah. of hours and, and i'm just your mom you know, two, three times a week in the morning. And I better have the dishwasher unloaded and stuff like that. You know, it's it's different than the 50s. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 Yeah, I got so much to say about that uh, in different ways, but we probably should use, like, we should really talk about that as a separate sermon. Because how you design your families is going to impact how you raise your children in terms of the, the, the structure of that. So this is a if i get down this path with you guys we won't get out of it so i want to stick to the parenting (laughs) but it's a good Jim brought up a good point for sure okay so both to both dads and moms have their their temptations or like the the areas in which it's going to be easy to not to be become way more functional than you actually think and you have to both check out of your list the things to do and your responsibilities to play tangibly with your children so again, a great question as a father and a mother is say, what uh, what am I going to do with my children today to invest on in their terms where nothing else gets in that way? And if, you, if we don't do that, our children will not trust us when it comes to discipline. Because all we'll hear is, you he only seem to invest any time with me when it comes to discipline. That's the message they get. Okay, so step one is becoming a functional parent as opposed to intentional. Um, I've been going for 45 minutes. I'll probably just do this last section and leave it at that for today, and then we'll talk about godly discipline next time. So, this is I'll just do the first pillar, which is self sacrificial love today. All right, so second part of being a, uh, a self sacrificial parent is you set up your children for success by having clear instruction and boundaries, and then you, and, then, and, and, and to, be, to have clear instruction means that you lay out for them rewards for obedience and consequences for disobedience up front how did God attempt to raise Israel into maturity he redeems them from Exodus in the Exodus he gets them to Mount Sinai to do what, just to hang out there He establishes them, a new way of living with them as a covenant people of God. He gives them instruction. Then he gives them a test, a chance to walk in obedience. But he lays out, before he does that, what rewards will bring for life with him and what consequences will bring with life with him. I'll give you just a few practical examples. Exodus 16, the, the men and women have never observed the Sabbath before. And so he says to them, I'm going to teach you how to learn to, to trust me with manna. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to let you collect manna on a daily basis, but you, on the Sabbath, you're not going to collect it on that day. You're going to only collect um, twice as much that day, and then uh, you won't work for the other day. And then you have to allow, believe me that I will provide for food for you on a daily basis. And then he says to them, basically, but it's up to you whether you want to walk in my instruction or not, but whether you obey me. But then he tells the Israelites up front what disobedience will produce and what obedience will produce. So the manna was their first test of bringing them into maturity. Gives instruction, tells them what will happen if they disobey, what will happen if they obey. Then he tells them what, um, and then he follows through when, when when they disobey. But further examples is the law of Leviticus. He just told them straight up. Read the law of Leviticus. If you do this, here's what's going to happen. If you don't do this, here's what's going to happen. The entire book is that. Exodus 23, 25 to 32. Beautiful picture of, of what God says to uh, Israel. I mean, you talk about up front. Like, listen, listen to this list um, in Exodus 23. He's going to give them the land, and um, in Exodus 23. 25 to 32. He says this, like you talk about upfront rewards. Hold upfront. Listen to this. Um, you shall serve the Lord your God, and He will bless your bread and your water, and I will remove sickness from your midst. What? Yeah. If you obey me, you'll never. Nobody in your land will get sick. Um, there shall be no miscarriage or bearing in your land. What? Everyone's going to get pregnant every time, and there's not going to be any miscarriages. Yep. That's what obedience will produce. I will fulfill the number of your days. I will send my terror ahead of you and throw into confusion all the people among you who come and I will make your enemies turn their backs to you. What? I get national and political security? Like no enemy nation is going to hurt me? Nope. If you obey me. I will send hornets ahead of you, so on and so forth. He goes on. I will fix your boundary from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines and to the wilderness to the Euphrates River for I will deliver the inhabitants of the land into your hand and you will drive them up before you. I'll give you boundaries and geography and you'll be secure. And then he says, but if you disobey me, here's what's going to happen. And Deuteronomy 27 31, the whole four chapters is amazing. Moses is standing on the mountain and he says this, if you disobey me, here's what's going to happen. If you obey me, here's what's going to happen. And then in Exodus 30 verse 19 says this, Israel, and I quote, he says, choose life. Choose life. Okay." So with with your children, regardless of how old they are, from from the from from two to to 18, it look, you you set up your children by being self sac- self sacrificial, by becoming a function an intentional parent. But you lay out instruction for them. You tell them what upfront pro- will produce in terms of uh, success, and it can it, a lot of it will be relational success, not just like I'm not talking about I'll give you five bucks. It's more like you know what, it's going to go well for you and me and and mommy if you do this, like relationally. Because there's lots of relational benefits, it doesn't have to be monetary and tangible things. Um, And you tell them what disobedience will produce. So, uh, these are basic ones for children. Um, uh, Actually, I'll give you, I'll I'll tell you this one and tell you what I did on uh, Friday when I came here. So, you say to your kids, I know you like this toy, it's your favorite toy, but when your friends come over, I want you to share. Okay? If you don't, here's what's gonna happen. If you do, here's what's gonna happen. Up front, both sides. When you go to Grandma's house, um, uh, Micah, I want you to eat all your food, even when we're not with you, okay? If you do, here's what's gonna happen. If you don't, here's what's gonna happen, okay? At this point, you're laying out everything for the child, and you go go crazy in excitement when they obey, and and then you, you follow through when they disobey. But the great thing is, like, I'll give an example. On Friday, I went in the car, and the boys who bought them a quad, and Jeff and Emily graciously leave it in their shed here. And so I said, boys, I know that's your quad. I said, but there's lots of boys gonna be there, and girls, and lots of kids tonight. When, you, when they come, you are going to share your quad tonight. You understand? And they said, yes. And, uh, and we went through the whole process. And we came here, they shared. They never had one meltdown when I told them to get off the clock. Not one. Not one. Helmets, everything. And the, the, the night went successful. Well, granted, they only had one. It was more Jeff doing all the sharing because he used more of the toys. But, just, but they had this potential for ownership because that's, that's theirs. But I'm like, no, 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 This not yours. Um it's yours to share what, so what, I'm just curious what were
0: the, you said if this happens or this, what, what, were, what were the consequences yeah, that
1: they have? Yeah. well um, so <laughs> I didn't actually tell them the consequences so, okay this is getting into the discipline, they know it that at this age that it it's always corporal punishment Okay. so I don't even tell them the consequences My, the, um, because of the way our culture is raised with uh, spanking and People are always so crazy about it. I I use a word that's uh, that's subtle, but no one would understand. The, but they know what it means. So I'll say to them, "If you don't share, it, uh, boys, you're going to be in trouble when we get home." Trouble never means like I'm going to take you know the toy away. I'll just physically punish them, and then they move on. Every time with me, I don't bother with the other stuff, and I have my reasons for it. And we'll get into that next time we speak, but. Uh, if they were older, like, you know, like, you know, 16, then I'd have to come up with something else, like environmental or relational. So, yeah, so I just say, if you, I just said, if you don't, you'll be in trouble with that. But it's taken me to follow through. Like, every time I said to them in the past, you'll be in trouble, I've had to follow them through so that they connect the dots. So in the beginning, I'd have to lay it out, but now I don't. I just use verbal commands. Yeah. Um, Anyhow. So that's, that's the, yeah. Is that helpful? Yeah, I was just curious. Yeah. And just
0: the example you gave about if you go to grammar's, you eat your supper. I'd love to know what the alternative is for the, like, what are the consequences for Well, school. we're going
1: to talk about how to come up, the, the two choices. There's only two choices for, for discipline. And we're going to, and then up to, and after that, like, as parents, you become creative. Part, part of the way of being effective in discipline is to know what really hurts your kids. Like what what would sting your kids? So if it's like Transformers, like that's gone. Or if it's like, you know, if it's the cell phone, that's gone or whatever. But just anything that's like, that will really hurt them. I know it sounds harsh, but there's a, again, if you're self-sacrificial in your love, when you do something hurtful, the child's message is this. I know dad's not doing this because he hates me because it's clear, because he's loved me my whole life by playing on my terms. So I must have done something wrong for him to do this because this is not his normal way of behaving towards me. That's the message the child gets, right? Okay, okay. Um, and here's the key. that Any instruction is for their best interest, again. It's for their best interest. That's part of being a sacrificial parent. God's instruction never came out of a place of inconvenience selfishness or laziness but for the best interest of israel and, I'll, and um i'll read you one passage just to show you in deuteronomy 10:13. deuteronomy 10:13. um he says uh now israel what does the lord your god require from you but to fear the lord to walk in his ways and love him and to serve the lord your god with all your heart and with all your soul and to keep his commandments and his statutes, which I am commanding you today for your good. The reason for late obeying my commandments, Israel, is for your good. Not for my good, it's for your good. Life will go better for you. Of course it will. If you obey me, no miscarrying. If you obey me, no fixed boundaries, political security. What a, a wonderful, wonderful God to... You mean if I don't commit adultery, you'll secure my boundaries of my nation? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Okay, <laughs> it's for your good, right? In other words, um, you know, it sounds like harsh or, or like like trite or whatever, but it's it's, it's, a, it's just the way it was. So again, the God's instruction came out always for their best interest, and so we, our instruction as parents has to be out of our best best interest, and and, and not out of the selfishness or laziness. And let me... So next time we talk we'll do uh, discipline and I that's when I think all the questions will probably come up in that pretty soon.